Available on digital media, iTunes podcast, smartphone apps, and from the online website. This is Outlook, the talking newspaper for Coventry. Welcome to Outlook. I'm Sheila Allen, and this edition is being recorded on Wednesday, the 21st of June, 2023. And of course, it's the longest day today. So, coming up in the next 90 minutes or so, we have a Margaret Tour telling us about the old grammar school in Hale Street, a piece by Gladys at McGreary, the mother of holistic medicine. Dave's been to Motorfest, and she's celebrating Graham's 50th birthday. There's an article by Susie Dent about the origin of words, and there's a short story read by Ali from Cynthia Townsend, plus, of course, your usual features such as postbag, sport, and what's going on in the Resource Centre. But as usual, we start with a review of the last week's local news with myself and Elaine. Outlook News. Tourism in Coventry enjoyed a record year in 2022 as the value of the visitor economy in the city soared to £750 million and recovered to surpass pre-pandemic levels. The visitor economy broke the previous record set in 2019 and saw growth in visitor numbers as 11 million people flocked to the city, a 1 million increase on 2019 and near 3 million on 2021. Visitor spend figures have shown a 250 million increase on 2021, which was below pre-pandemic levels, but also a 26% increase on 2019. Key events included Radio 1's Big Weekend, Coventry's City of Culture celebrations, and the Birmingham 2022 Commonwealth Games have all been identified as drivers for the growth, with visitor numbers peaking in May and August. This has been revealed in an economic impact report on tourism in the city, which was commissioned by the Destination Management Organisation, Destination Coventry, in partnership with West Midlands Growth Company. The number of full-time equivalent jobs supported by the sector has also risen since 2019, from 6,000 to 7,000. The report also revealed that there are a further 755 accommodation beds in creation across eight new developments to accommodate for overnight stay visitors to the city. Councillor Jim O'Boyle, Cabinet Member for Jobs, Regeneration and Climate Change, said... These results are great news and prove what we knew, of course, that Coventry is a great city with plenty to offer visitors, whatever their interest. The tourism sector is important for the city's economic success and for jobs, but it's also a measure of a thriving city with plenty going on for local people to enjoy too. I'm pleased that work is underway to provide more overnight accommodation so more people can spend in our, even longer in our fine city. The cost of removing illegal traveller encampments from public land in Coventry has tripled over the past five years. Figures from a Freedom of Information request show the City Council spent just under £70,000 on this action last year, compared with £20,000 in 2018. 
The hike appears to be driven by bailiff costs, which have soared from £6,600 to £59,000 per year in this time. In contrast, the cost of other legal action taken by the council has risen and fallen in line with the number of encampments, which were highest in 2021. Travellers who pitch up on public land in Coventry without permission are moved on by the council after officers carry out a needs assessment. Groups are first served notice to leave, and when this expires, the council can apply for an eviction order from the court and place bailiffs on standby. But the process is expensive and often costs over £1,000 in each case due to court and server fees and legal officer time. A site in Coventry where travellers can live and pay a weekly rent has been in poor condition and disused since 2019. Overall, Coventry Council spent £223,000 moving illegal traveller encampments over the past five years. The number of encampments in the city was highest in 2020 and 2021, when 22 and 30 were recorded, compared with 11 in 2022 and 12 in 2018. A spokesperson for the council said the Coventry City Council is continually reviewing its policy and practices in dealing with unauthorised encampments. To date, an injunction has not been required and the council has used other appropriate legislation in seeking eviction to recover public land. Coventry City Council's ambition to tackle climate change and create a sustainable zero carbon city has taken a step forward as the planning application for a solar farm has been submitted. The proposed solar farm on land in the north of the city close to the M6 would deliver clean, green energy and bring benefits for the local community. The approximately 103-acre site near Lenton's Lane is in the council's ownership and the land is currently used for sheep farming with some crop cultivation. As part of the plans, options to continue farming are being looked at as solar farms around the world successfully combine green energy production with other uses, including farming and an increase in biodiversity. The planning application requests permission to develop the site as a solar farm, with panels angled in a southerly direction, capturing the maximum energy produced by the sun which over a year would be equal to the power needed for the equivalent of 7,650 homes over the year and an annual carbon saving of 7,000 tonnes of CO2 compared to traditional power generation. Councillor Jim O'Boyle, Cabinet Member for Jobs Regeneration and Climate Change, said... The proposed solar farm is part of a wide range of initiatives helping to deliver our and the city's climate change ambition. The power it generates will be sustainable, clean, green energy, sensitive to the natural environment. This idea goes hand in hand with our other green projects, including plans for Coventry Valley Light Rail, improved cycling infrastructure, and our drive to install more on-street charge points. We will be the UK's first all-electric bus city too, of course. If the application is approved, we also want to provide benefits for people living close by. We will be working closely with the tenant farmer and with local people to ensure that they are involved every step of the way 
and to ensure that they get some of the green benefits too. Bus fares are set to increase across Coventry next month, the main operator has revealed. National Express Coventry has announced that from the 3rd of July, an all-day ticket is rising from 50p by 50p from £4 to £4.50. But the company insists the West Midlands will continue to have the cheapest bus tickets of any city region in England and an all-day ticket below the price in 2017. A weekly pass will be £17, a £2 increase from the £15 currently charged. Paying by direct debit remains the most cost-effective way to travel, with a monthly price of £55. National Express said it is the first price rise since 2017 for the majority of fares, but the day ticket will remain cheaper than it was then. The operator added that the price rises are needed to protect the bus network, the services that customers use every day, in the face of rising costs. It says prices, including fuel, electricity, parts and labour, have increased, while the number of people using buses remains at around 90% of what it was before the pandemic. A National Express Coventry spokesperson said, We're pleased that in the face of a difficult inflation environment, we're able to protect the bus network and still have the cheapest all-day ticket price of any city in England at £4.50. Our day ticket remains cheaper than 2017. We're on our customers' side and we will continue to work hard to ensure a reliable bus service and to help them take advantage of great value travel. A new 10-year plan has been launched to enhance Coventry's reputation as a culture and arts city. Coventry Culture Works will see the City Council join forces with the area's two universities to boost investment into local cultural and creative projects. This new plan will also aim to attract new events, artists and companies into Coventry as well as educate and inspire the city's next generation of creative talent. It also includes a commitment to joint investment from the three organisations in a new Head of Culture and Creative Economy role. Coventry Culture Works will aim to drive wider economic growth and regeneration in the city, and a new Cultural Project Grants programme is in development which will be available to local community organisations. The University of Warwick will be launching Warwick's Culture, a new strategy building on its existing commitments including investment in sustainability and new partnerships. Coventry University will be creating a hub within the city centre cultural gateway, which is being created in the old IKEA building. The hub will include a gallery, cafe, library and exhibition space, dance studio and more. The new plan looks to build on the events held during Coventry's City of Culture year. Councillor David Welsh, whose Cabinet Portfolio of Housing and Communities covers arts and culture, said the partnership would provide future opportunities for arts and culture organisations across the city. Working alongside the two universities means we can build on what has already been achieved in recent years, support the city's cultural organisations and focus on delivering an ambitious cultural offer. Professor Stuart Croft, Vice-Chancellor of the University of Warwick, added, We're delighted to help build on the city's growing reputation as a major cultural hub within the UK and Europe. 
Through the creation of Coventry Culture Works, we hope to make Coventry an even more inviting place for visitors and a home for artists, companies and creatives to thrive in. Multi-award winning pub, The Old Windmill, located on Spawn Street, has been named as one of the six national finalists for its Licensee of the Year Award. Pub landlady Michelle Gilmore has been battling it out for the award since January by showing the judges from the British Institute of Innkeeping how she has been developing the business, the team and the local community. The Old Windmill is situated in the heart of the city. It has three original fireplaces you can relax by on a cold winter's day. Care has been taken by the team to preserve original features while keeping the decor to a very high standard, making the pub a perfect blend of old and new. It was recently voted by Telegraph readers to be the city's best pub. Visitors say a visit to the Old Windmill is an experience. You can take a tour around the pub with a staff member where you can sample classic ales, wine from their collection or choose from over 35 gins. The heart of the windmill is cask ale with seven hand pulls and it offers four permanent and three guest beers. The pub has also achieved a reputation for its infamous pork pie and cheese boards, with cheese matured all the way from the Somerset Caves to the mountains of Snowdonia. Beer festivals are also held throughout the year, with live music and displays from the local Morris men and the Coventry Mummers, ordinary members of the community who come to sing, act, dance and play instruments. There is also a pop-up beer garden open on evenings and weekends, furnished with chairs, wooden tables, umbrellas and bay trees. Judges have been focusing on the mystery on the business's resilience, diversification and sustainability, as well as conducting mystery diner visits, interviewees in their pub, as well as financial and online audits. The Spawn Street pub was selected from 300 entrants, with judges describing it as a stunning 15th century pub. The pub were also winners of the Great British Pub Award in 2022, finalists for the best pub for ale and past winners of the Cameras Pub of the Year. Michelle will be presented with a trophy alongside the other finalists on Tuesday, June the 20th at the British Institute of Innkeeping Summer event, where the winner of the Licensee of the Year will be announced. A new community garden has been planted at the Herbert Art Gallery and Museum in an effort to green up the city centre. The new garden has been in development for around 12 months and is now open. The project has been created by leisure company CV Life staff and local community groups, including Coventry Urban Eden, which has planted a host of flowers and plants which have now bloomed, creating a colourful haven in the city. Local homeless charity Crisis donated some specially made Coventry blue tiles for the project, while gardening company Hoselock donated a number of watering products to help keep the plants healthy. On top of this, Warwickshire Wildlife Trust and West Midlands Combined Authority provided funding for the garden. Lisa Ford, Head of Learning and Engagement at Herbert Art Gallery and Museum, said... We want to bring loads of community groups into this space and let them have ownership. We really want to make people feel like this is their space, a common ground where different people can connect together. You can really find peace in nature, taking a seat in the shade, watching the bees going into the flowers. It calms you down instantly. 
She added, it's special because it's in an urban landscape. There are lots of concrete buildings, so having a little bit of greenery definitely helps create a sense of peace among the noise and bustle. Here at the museum we are a place of sanctuary where people feel comfortable and relaxed, helping with mental health and well-being. We want people to feel happy coming to us and the garden can be a big part of that as it connects people with nature and gives another reason to engage. When visiting a museum, you see the outside first. So this is a really nice way to welcome people. So we also want to see art in this space. We want to fill it with colour and spark creativity. It's really a fantastic blank canvas to do that. It's a grand scheme with grand ideas, but we're doing it with baby steps. We envisage a lot of creativity, planting and growing, but also connecting to and cherishing the city's heritage through the plants we grow. We'll be planting heritage seeds, including woad, so that dye can be extracted, which links us to the Weaver's Guild and St Mary's. We really want to build that into our plans. A crackdown on e-bikes in Coventry City Centre will take place in the coming weeks as part of a wider push for cycle safety. Riders are being reminded of the rules ahead of enforcement action that will take place in pedestrian areas at random times of the day. Anyone caught riding an illegal e-bike could have their vehicle seized and crushed according to a leaflet issued by the council. More on the campaign was revealed at a council cabinet meeting to renew a public space protection order earlier this week. A briefing note beforehand said there had been rising complaints about the behaviour of e-bike riders in the centre, especially food delivery riders. People are also not coming into the centre because of bikes infiltrating pedestrian areas, a group of businesses has warned. The council said it could tackle the problem with public space protection order powers, which say people must cycle in a careful and considerate manner through the centre and dismount when officers tell them to. Cyclists who don't do this can be handed a breach notice and could face a £100 fine or court summons. 14 notices have been given out this year alone. But the council note added further action was planned, including enforcement activity that will be looking to seize and dispose of any illegal bikes, those that are above permitted power and speed capabilities. Commenting at a meeting this week, Council Officer Leah Nagel said the issue of e-bikes is a quite niche cohort of people. We say almost without exception it tends to be food delivery riders, she said. We're going to be working quite closely with the food outlets themselves, Coventry BID, police colleagues and ourselves. It's felt that e-bikes are in a similar situation to where e-scooters were some time ago, where people are buying them without being fully appreciative of what the law is. While the council publicises the laws around e-bikes, people will have a reasonable amount of time to make changes or get rid of their bikes. Enforcement action will be taking place in the coming weeks, he added. A new leaflet by the council on cycle safety in the centre give details of the law on e-bikes, including that riders of unauthorised e-bikes will be liable to criminal enforcement and bikes may be seized and crushed. A woman who founded an incredible charity to help others after suffering her own tragedy has been warded an MBE. 
Judy Ledger of Coventry founded Baby Lifeline in 1981 after losing her first three babies, who were all born prematurely. She has been awarded an MBE in the King's Birthday Honours for services to pregnant women and newborn babies. She is Coventry's only recipient in the honours, although a number of people across the West Midlands have also been recognised. The Baby Lifeline website says Judy started the charity as a sanity plan after losing her babies. She began to work with and for frontline maternity healthcare professionals to provide technology to maternity and neonatal units both in hospitals and in the community, as well as evidence-based multi-professional training and associated research for thousands of healthcare professionals. Move on 40 years and Baby Lifeline is internationally recognised for the training it provides internationally. She spearheaded the charity's Ukraine appeal when the country was invaded by Russia last year, donating thousands of pounds worth of vital maternity safety supplies to those caring for babies and mothers. The Lord Lieutenant of West Midlands, Sir John Crabtree, OBE, said... This year's recipients showcase a range of outstanding achievements and provide an insight into the amazing people that make our region so great. We are all immensely grateful for what they do each and every day and I am absolutely delighted to see so many gain the recognition they deserve in the King's first birthday honours. Outlook News Right, thank you to um, Elaine for helping me with the news. She's just telling me that the, the solar panels give nice shade for the sheep in the hot weather, but I'm not sure I believe her. Anyway. Oh, oh they do. <laughs> and when it rains, you've got a handy umbrella to nip on quick. <laughs> it must be the heat that's getting to us. We're a bit silly in here today. Um, now, you remember last week, or you might remember last week, we announced the return of bands in the park, but we haven't got much information about it. However, Sarah has since been investigating and is here now to tell us when and where for the next four bands in the parks. Now last week in the news Elaine told you or reported on the bands in the park series having started and she gave you a website where you could find out further details but I'm going to give you the quick and simple one and just read a list out. Mm-hmm. Now it does say that chairs are available and the whole event is free and you're very welcome to bring a picnic. So what you're waiting for? I'll read the name of the park first, then the date, then the band. So this week in Holbrook's Park, that is Sunday the 25th of June, we have Bandicoot's Blues Band. So get your dancing shoes on as well. And then in Orsley Hall Park on July the 9th, we have the Chase Jasmine. Keep them dancing shoes on. Come on, Julia, you take your friend, John. Then in Stoke Green Park on Sunday, July the 16th, you can hear the City of Coventry Brass Band. 
Very good band. They always have been one of my mum's favourites. Then the last one in the first block is in Camden Peace Orchard, which I confess I'd never heard of, on July the 23rd, where you can hear the Coventry Festival Band. So you've got quite a wide range there, both geography and types of music. So there's something to go out and listen to. Oh, thank you, Sarah. I hope some of you are able to go and listen to some of the bands, as long as we get a nice day, of course. Now, we'll be giving you details of the raining bands in the park next month. Now, before we move on, we have got lighting up time. So I did mention, of course, it's the longest day today, so I suppose now the evenings are getting darker, but not for a long time yet. So it's the first day of summer too, so sunrise, if you were up this morning, was 4.45. I wasn't, so I missed that. And sunset is 9.32. That's 16 and three quarters hour daylight and only seven and a quarter hours at night. So it doesn't get ever so dark this time of year, does it? So that's the lighting up times and the sunshine. And now it's Hugh's going to tell us what's on in the resource centre. Thank you very much, Sheila. Right, uh, just a quick recap of some of the um, uh, things that are coming up. So we've got the Shops Summer Madness uh, event coming up this Saturday. So if you are around somewhere near the centre, there'll be some great bargains going on at the shop. Uh, and there's uh, great, lots of, lots of lovely stuff. June has been working really, really hard and uh, splendid, splendid things available. Now, uh, on Saturday, the 22nd of July, I mentioned this before as well, we have our summer garden party, it's our big summer event uh, we're going to do a bit of a raffle for that as well, uh, but it'll sort of start for the summer garden party and then we'll probably end it, um, end it in September I think We'll have, we've got some really good prizes already, but I'll let you know a bit more about that as we go. Uh, we're on the hunt uh, for the Summer Garden Party, for things for the Tombola, and things for the uh, uh, nearly new stall. Uh, the charity shop will also have a presence there as well. Uh, we are also on the hunt for people who may well bake cakes... Uh, particularly for uh, sale because those are really, really popular mm. that we sell the cakes uh, sort of wrapped up and people take them home. Cakes cakes to go. <laughs> uh, we're also very keen on getting cakes or whatever for the, for, for the garden party as well. But particularly if you uh, fancy making uh, a cake or two and donating it to the charity uh, for sale on the day and I'll tell you what, most cakes freeze really, really well um, I made some banana bread the other day and that's gone straight into the freezer uh, so uh, you know, if, if, um, if that's something you feel you could do and uh, you have time for then I would be very grateful to receive cakes uh, a day or two beforehand uh, Now, we this being the summer, people go starting to go away on holiday a bit, and as it ho so happens, um, our quite a number of our really wonderful drivers are away on holiday at the moment. That means we're having to restrict um, a little bit um, uh, the attendance at some of the groups. Uh, for example, the Tuesday morning uh, devices, which used to be two sessions, is now one session because it means that therefore it's only one bus in and one bus out. Uh, and craft, we've, there's, a, there's some volunteers away then as well, so we're having to just adjust uh, the craft a little bit as well. So my apologies for that. Uh, we 
we'll try and get uh, if you've not had a turn and you need to, and you really feel like you want one, please uh, give us a call uh, on 024 um, You can talk to Heather or Carol or Claire, um, and they will uh, help you out with that. Now. Uh, there is a magazine available in Coventry called Chatterbox. Uh, it's a free magazine that gets uh, sent out to, or delivered to almost all the addresses in Coventry. Uh, and it's got local news and all sorts of... It's a nice, nice little community uh, magazine. Now, they uh, have a poetry page, and uh, this year they ran what's uh, the Jill Curtis Poetry Awards 2023. Uh, uh, so it's a regular and annual poetry event, uh, and they had lots of entries, and it so happens that the, uh, the winning entry in the adult section uh, was by a chap called John Nichols, who is a friend of the charity, um, and he has very, very kindly donated his £100 prize money to the charity, and we were delighted uh, to welcome him yesterday uh, for a photo opportunity to, um, uh, to uh, present the cheque to uh, Rosie and Tricia which was absolutely wonderful um, and there was a children's prize as well and that was won by young Nathan Eze who's uh, eight years old uh, and he came along for the photo op as well um, and of he, he got 20 quid um, as, a, as his uh, prize money and he very sweetly gave half of it to us oh. as a donation um, so I thought as a thank you to both of them that I would read their poems out so they got a much wider audience. So we're going to start off with John's, John's poem, which is called A Day in the Garden. I'm sitting out here in the garden. I look forward to this all year through. The weather is warm and quite pleasant. The days I can do this are few. I finished the weeding and pruning, mowed the lawn to within an inch of its life. <laughs> It's time to relax and chill out now, forget all life's trouble and strife. I've brought out a book and a lager, which I like to do now and again. What's that? A spot? No, it can't be. Oh, sod it, it started to rain. <laughs> so, <laughs> thank you, John, and we, I think we all sympathise that. Welcome to the British summer. Yeah. And this is Nathan's, uh, Nathan's poem, and it's called What Makes Me Happy. Tag rugby makes me happy. Tag rugby is as rough as football. It's as hard as a ball. The ball screams as it gets thrown, landing safely in my waiting hands. Ice cream makes me happy, as happy as I'll ever be. Ice cream is as, uh, cream is as tasty as vanilla, dancing happily in my mouth. Oh, what a treat it is. Pizza makes me happy. My favourite is pepperoni and cheese. My treats any time, any day. Just a slice would do the best flavour that will ever be. Gummy bears make me happy. As happy as I'll ever be. White gummy bears are my favourite. They look so gummy and chewy. White gummy bears are the best. Art makes me happy. It's colourful and nice as the ideas pop into my mind. I just like to draw all because it's fun. 
So I think we, it's great. Yeah, we get a lovely insight there into, <laughs> into the things that make Nathan happy. I was really uh, p- uh, pleased and privileged to uh, um, to show uh, him and his mum Adiola around the centre yesterday, and it was really interested in everything that was going on. We had the computers going on, we had uh, um, we had the music group and everything. So uh, it was uh, wonderful to see uh, Nathan and his mum and John and a huge great big thank you to both of them um, for their true generosity uh, and uh, in thinking of the charity write some more poetry and yeah. absolutely write That's some brilliant. more poetry so uh, I'm hoping I've, get, I've told uh, Nathan about uh, about the podcast uh, version of this program uh, and uh, very hopefully he'll be listening in uh, and, and uh, hearing me read his poem well, yes, hopefully you could write some more for us. Yes, absolutely. That's anytime, anytime. Absolutely. Great. So, thank you very much. And that, uh, dear friends, is it for this week. Thank you very much for all that. And now, after a break last week, Sarah is back with another week's sports report. Outlook Sport. Well, hello there, lovely listeners. Yes, I'm back. Just as you thought your worst nightmare had gone away, I'm back. Feeling a little bit the worse for wear and getting used to a very shiny bald patch on the top of my head where I had the skin graft. But hey-ho, there are worse things. Anyway, normally a weekend starts on a Friday and then you have Saturday and Sunday. But the weekend gone was different. It started on Friday, then you had Saturday, but Sunday was replaced by Sports Day. And it didn't have to take a bit of multitasking. In the afternoon, I had the cricket. Yes, you heard me right. Lewis listened to cricket. Well, it is the Aussies. On the radio with the tennis on the television and then after a couple of hours break when rain stopped play literally at Edgebaston for the cricket it resumed with the motor racing on the radio and the golf on the television (sighs) my kind of day perfect day now I will start with the tennis and Sir Andy in particular. Sir Andy is on a mission, Andy Murray. He's currently ranked 44 and he aims to get into the low 30s for Wimbledon so that he gets one of the top 32 seed places. Well, he's certainly not doing badly on that surface so far. Having won at Surbiton, yes, I didn't know there was a Surbiton trophy either. He then beat Arthur Cazo 6-4-6-4 in the final at Nottingham. Not bad for a man who, A, is 36, which is getting on a bit for a tennis player, and has a false hip. Wow. Meanwhile, in the women's, That being a a Women's Tennis Association, WTA, event, for the first time 
since the days of Sue Barker and Virginia Wade in 77. Two Brits faced each other in the women's final. Well done to Katie Bolter for beating her colleague Jodie Barrage 6-3-6-3. Actually, before this, Katie had already replaced Ms Radicanu as the British number one. So I suppose you could say it was to be expected. And now the grass court train rumbles on and this week it's Queen's and Edgebaston. Queen's for the men, Edgebaston for the women. And then the following week the women go off to Eastbourne before Wimbledon starts on July the 3rd. You have been warned. And there will be more about tennis in the latter half of this recording. Now, golf, just quickly on national sports. Golf, it was the final of the US Open. And I'm afraid Rory McIlroy finished second again. Frustratingly, one shot behind the winner. But I have to say, Wyndham Clark, who won the US Open this year came over as a really nice unassuming unexpected winner I believe he's played only in six majors and has failed to make the cuts that is when you're in the top half and you go on to play the third and fourth rounds so well done Wyndham Meanwhile, F1, the motor racing, which I haven't covered this year because it's basically a procession behind Max Verstappen. Anyway, it was on the radio, so I listened to it. Um, And guess who won? Max Verstappen. But it was brilliant to see R. Lewis on the podium, albeit in third, but yes, on the on the podium meanwhile the cricket rumbles on and on and on and on it's the first one of the ashes series and the tests are played over five days with each side batting and then bowling twice and now my and finally for the first part has a bit of a Coventry theme. You may be aware that England played Malta in Malta last week and at one stage there were three former City players in the team. Mm-hmm. Three well-established City squad players. First of all, there was Callum Wilson, who scored with a lovely penalty at the end of the match. Then there was James Madison, who was substituted on, as actually was Callum. And then, lining up for Malta, and obviously one of their stars, was no less than Jodie Jones who we sold, I believe, to Oxford, who then passed him on to Notts County, and he's been instrumental in Notts County coming back 
into the Football League this year. So, who says City are nothing? We are a game maker. Now this week I'm going to bring you part two of your everything you really wanted to know about tennis but were too frightened to ask. So last week we looked at the shots. You can serve an ace or if the opponent returns it you can smash it or gently lob it. This week we're going to look at the scoring system. Now, the match, which is the overall name, consists of sets, usually three sets, though at the major tournaments like Wimbledon, the men and the men's doubles play five sets. And each set consists of well, basically, it's when one of the players reaches six games. Unless it is six all or five all, in which case there needs to be clear daylight. So we would play to seven five or eight six or nine seven, etc., etc. The only difference is in a Grand Slam tournament such as Wimbledon where when it gets to the players at 10 all, they go to a Masters tie-break which is basically a bit like a penalty shootout. Each player serves until, the, until they win. So, a game consists of first player to four points unless as with the overall sets the, the team the players are tied on three points each in which case there needs to be clear daylight and they play an advantage okay so it's all very simple games feed into sets which feed into matches but let's factor in a bit of medieval French, shall we? Because that is the country that first codified what we call lawn tennis or tennis. So, the game, you don't score 0, 1, 2, 3, 4. You score love 15, 30, 40. Now, the 15, 30 and 40 are believed to have come from the original way of counting, which was you by using a clock face. And presumably it was originally 45, but it just got shortened for speed to 40. So that kind of makes sense now. I'd often wondered why it was this crazy 15, 30, 40 not one, two, three. But we don't have zero either. We have love. Now, this is not quite so romantic, I'm afraid. It comes from the French word for egg, 
because an egg was, well, it does resemble a zero. So the French for egg is earth. So earth over time has become love. So that is why we have love. And I used to think there'd be a far more romantic reason. Now, the other oddity is if it does get to three points all, you have deuce. Now, I'm not talking about the Robinson's barley that used to come out the fridges before the advent of energy drinks. I'm talking, as I say, about three points each, and I'm spelling it D-E-U-C-E. Originally, that was believed to have come from the Latin duos, but it's now believed to come from the French de, to, spelt D-E-U-X. So again, over time, the X has been replaced with a C-E. So, you're all set for Wimbledon. Let the game begin. Thanks to Sarah for her sport. And now we're going to turn to Dave and your postbag. Hello there and welcome to your postbag. I'd like to start off your postbag by wishing Sarah a speedy and complete recovery from her operation. She's obviously been through a lot. And Sheila, although not being interested in sport, said once that Sarah's sports spot was her favourite spot on Outlook. She's worth listening to whether you are or not you're interested in sport. And Veronica of the Monday Club, whose mother was listener Lillian Bird at the retinitis pigmentosa meeting, said, I was lost without Sheila, who was the tea lady at the meetings. Well, I certainly feel lost without her now. And at the meetings... I gave a Strictly Come Dancing Party Masterclass. Richard Bartlam made a CD for me so I could teach the popular party dancers. Oh, like the Macarena and the uh, YMCA and the Birdie Dance. And this is roughly the title of uh, Julia's piece, which is entitled The Birdie Song. With a little bit of this and a little bit of that and you wiggle your bum, la 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 la. I could teach you if you like. And uh, Terry and Nigel, she says, told me all about the birds and the bees. Well, they told me about the birds anyway. I'll find out about the bees later. We were at the Torch Fellowship and Nigel started by talking about birdsong. He had some birds on his phone. There was a blackbird, a robin and a crow. Then it was Terry's turn. He told us about his pigeons. He keeps them in a box. He brought three of them in to show me. I forgot to ask what their names were, but I stroked them and asked him how they should be cooked. He said about half an hour on regular five, but he said we should wait a few months because they were only three weeks old. They were very well behaved, especially when I was asking how to cook them. And later, Jen and I went into the garden and whistled at the birds. And they whistled back, but we didn't catch any. I'd like to have caught a fat old hen for my friend John. 
he could have had it for his dinner. Julia, thank you, Julia, and I hope you have a lovely holiday in Cyprus. So as Julia will be away, will you help me out next week, please, and the week after, and send something in for postbag? I'd appreciate that very much. Thank you. So, it's thank you for Graham Whale for this week's message. It's again about the Sky Blues' valiant bid to get back into the Premier League and also about the trains as well. Well, I'm disappointed that the Sky Blues didn't make the Premiership. Um, it's a pity you had to go to penalty shootout, but what else can you do? You can't carry on playing for the rest of the rest of your lives. <laughs> and I think really... Um, Luton were above Coventry in the league, so it was probably a fair result. Anyway, perhaps, perhaps next year we can get promotion without having to go through this fiasco of playing off. As regards the transport, well, of course people can stagger their journeys going down, can't they? I've heard of people catching trains at 9 o'clock and some catching trains at midday. The problem is when you all come out of the ground at the same time, um, well, it's chaos, I would imagine. Uh, they have similar problems when they have big events on at the CBS Arena, I believe. And I'm not making any apology for the rail companies. Let's just hope they can get it a little better next year when we go to Wembley. Well, it's wishful thinking, I know. Nice to know you're such a loyal and consistent supporter, Graham, of the Sky Blues. And talking about rail journeys, have you any problems with the rail strikes and talking about wishful thinking like Graham did Edwina was hoping to make herself some soup but ended up warming up something else instead Hi everybody I wonder if any of you have got a little story you can push on the tape I have one incident that happened that has made me smile every time since um, I've mentioned about the Heinz big soups. So sometimes for a quick meal, midday, I have a tin of soup. Then I cook something in the evening. And this particular day, I reached in the cupboard where all the big soups are, just opened the tin straight into the microwave and went in to start eating this lovely big soup. As I put the spoon in, I thought, well, this feels a bit thick. This is heavy, whatever it is. See? So I started poking with the spoon and I thought, oh dear, something is in this tin, I think. Or oh, was in the tin. So, I felt hurt and I thought I can't eat whatever this is and I went and put it in the kitchen and waited till Darren came in and I said to Darren I did a usual big shoot and I said it was so thick and funny feeling I couldn't eat it can you go and see what it was he came back into the living room and he said, Mum, he said, you'd open and cook a tin of apricots. 
No wonder it felt sticky and thick. I hope you're all smiling. Take care. Bye. Well, I've had apricots and a meat pie, so it's not that unusual to have them heated up. There are talking tin lids available. Inquire at the resource centre for them. And talking of food, on hearing my interview with Michelin star TV chef Glyn Purnell at the Charterhouse on the London Road, members of the Monday Club said it must be expensive there. Well, to give you an idea, sandwiches in Purnell's Cafe served from 12 till 3, Thursday till Sundays are £8 each. During the same times until 9pm and in the same places, Purnell's Bistro. The menu has fish and meat dishes, they're £89. Uh, sweets between 5 and £6. Finally, I had a lovely chat with Doreen Hilton on my phone. She has this message for you. Hello Dave, um, it's lovely to hear you again, we haven't forgot about you, um, but I heard Ilga uh, on her 102th birthday and she enjoyed herself, I remember meeting her with your wife Sheila and um, it was lovely to meet them, what kind lovely people they are. But um, I say Sheila did well and Ilda's doing well and um, also I, I hear quite a few more people as well but it's just getting, you know, what to say and let everybody hear but Doreen's okay, um, except we've had a bit of sad news at the moment but we're getting over it, we'll get there and I'm sure um, we haven't come out in the Monday Club but we'll come back to you very shortly and also, um, we're in the music class, and I'm doing so well, and I hope to be there on Tuesday on the 20th. Um, like we all go through things, but sometimes it's hard, and sometimes, you know, you have a job to get over it. But Dave, it's lovely to hear from you. Um, there's Doreen, talking to you all again, <laughs> and I hope you, you know, everybody's well and keeping all in good spirits uh, because that's what we want with this beautiful weather we've got. Um, sometimes it could be a washout, but you can't please us. We're, we're, we're unhappy with the cold and we're unhappy with the sun. What can you keep us happy with? Okay, but that's lovely speaking to you all again. So, take care of... Thank you, Doreen. It was lovely to speak to you. Please help me out by sending in a message next week, or maybe the week after as well. Have you ever been on Dunwood's Coach Holidays? I understand they are very popular with people going on holiday on their own. I'm thinking about it for two reasons, that I might try it myself, and also their fellow listeners try it. There's a member of a singing group I belong to, Sylvia, she used to go to the Braille class at Coventry Resource Centre for the Blind and she goes on Dunwood's holidays and there's usually someone to guide her while she's there. And thank you for your messages this week. And anyway, please let's hear from you next time. 
and uh, you know the phone number 024 76 717 522 and press 5 for Coventry's Talking Newspaper or, or any other way you wish to send a message to me. Thank you very much and bye for now. That was your postbag of this week from Dave. Now the old grammar school in Hale Street is an established landmark in Coventry and Margaret's going to tell us more about this iconic building. St John's Hospital as the old grammar school was originally known, was said to have been founded around 1157 by the Benedictine prior Lawrence of St Mary's Priory. It is said he granted the land and that the hospital was constructed under the supervision of Edmund, Archdeacon of Coventry, who pleaded with the prior for provision for aged and infirm travellers. Oddly, this hospital-come-church was under the supervision of the Knights Hospitale, the military order from the Hospital of St John of Jerusalem. The order was founded in 1023 to care for sick and injured pilgrims in Jerusalem and after the First Crusade became a military order. Strangely, at the time of the founding of St John's, the hospitalers were not held in favour by the Benedictine order. As the hospitalers inherited the buildings and estates of the purged Knights Templar, it may be possible this building has a different origin that has itself been purged from history. Interestingly, the Templars were accused of summoning the devil and this building has a legend attached to it of the devil being summoned and appearing to the men within. In 1522, it held three priests, three clerks and five sisters, and maintained 30 beds. Most were allowed to stay two nights and two days, although this could vary. Part of the chancel and choir were reserved for religious purposes, while the beds of the sick and infirm lined the walls of the rest of the chancel and nave. The present surviving building was the main part of that church. The infirmary, hall and lodgings are long gone. The whole complex is said to have been rebuilt in the early 1300s. The east window is particularly beautiful, with a possible French influence. It was surrendered in 1544 and in July 1546 the buildings and ground were granted by the Crown to John Hales, clerk of the Hanaper. Hales had been one of the King's commissioners in the dissolution of Coventry's monastic homes. Although the hospital was valued at £95.13 in 1545, Hales paid the king £400. Henry VIII stipulated that Hales should set up a grammar school in the city, although there was no written stipulation that he had to endow it. Hales did set up a school in the choir of Whitefriars Church, which he didn't own, and was forced to remove it. He moved it to St John's and with it Whitefriars Choir Stalls. Fifty of them survived in 1861. 
The conversion of the hospital into a school with one classroom meant a number of structural changes. The height of the building was reduced by raising the floor and lowering the roof by constructing a wooden wagon hood ceiling below the original open timber roof, which remains hidden to this day. The south aisle was demolished and part of the north aisle, formerly St Catherine's Chapel, was changed into a classroom. The arches on both sides were walled in with stone. In 1628, the first rules were made. This school is a free school for the teaching of grammar and music unto the children of all the free inhabitants within this city and the inner liberties thereof, and to none other whose children after their admission shall be taught gratis. All other foreigners coming thither shall compound with the master and the usher for their teaching. And Margaret will complete the story about the old grammar school next week. Now, have you ever wondered what over a century of living would teach you about the world? Gladys McGarry, the mother of holistic medicine, knows the answers and shares her knowledge and experience of finding happiness. This article is taken from the Good Housekeeping magazine and it's read by Nigel. We're living longer than ever before. Nonetheless, reaching triple digits is a rarity and thriving while doing so is even more of a marvel. So what's the secret? <coughs> if anyone knows, it's a 102-year-old Dr. Gladys McGarry. With a career in medicine spanning eight decades, Dr. McGarry has helped transform ideas about health and healing. She co-founded the American Holistic Medical Association in 1978, has been described by medics as the mother of holistic medicine. After spending her childhood in India with parents who were both doctors, it was while watching her mother heal an unusual patient that Dr. McGarry was inspired to follow in their footsteps. She trained as a doctor during the Second World War when few medical schools in the US accepted women. We were told that we would have to be smarter, tougher and overall better doctors to survive, she remembers. While working as a physician, Dr. McGarry also raised six children. She has faced numerous challenges in her life, including divorce from her husband Bill, two cancer diagnoses, and coping with grief. She describes losing one of her daughters to cancer as her greatest loss. Despite the setbacks, Dr. McGarry has continued to find motivation and happiness. When she was in her 80s, she travelled to a rural village in Afghanistan, where she taught safer birthing practices to women, and she still practices medicine today. She continues to have plenty of fun, too. I occasionally do Pilates, she said, and yes, I do eat cake. In fact, I really love cake. I even popped out for one on my 95th birthday. So what are the secrets to true health and happiness? They have nothing to do with vitamins or supplements, she says. Instead, they're based on a simple, simple shift in perspective. If I could distill my life's work into one sentence, it's this. To be truly alive, we must find the life force within ourselves and direct our energy towards it. Now learn of Dr. McGarry's life lessons. Firstly, living with purpose. I recall the energy we get from the things that matter to us, the juice. 
Lives filled with juice become purposeful. And living with purpose can actually help us live longer and better. I remember the exact moment I found my juice. When I was eight and living in India, my mother got a patient we never expected, an elephant who had injured her foot on a bamboo stamp. My mother wasn't a vet, but the elephant was very special as he belonged to the Raja and was his favourite uh, elephant to ride. With a gentle yet confident tone, my mother spoke to the elephant as she would to any other nervous patient as she examined his front left foot. A splinter of bamboo was still inside and it had become infected. Sensing my desire to help, my mother sent me to get forceps, potassium permanganate and a large syringe. The elephant allowed her to remove the long splinter and irrigate the infection underneath. I ran my hand along his wrinkled skin and smooth tusks and was surprised by his gentle energy. I could understand why the Raja loved him so much. Treating the elephant helped me discover that I was born to be a doctor. Lesson two, you are never truly alone. We're happiest and healthiest when we're contributing to our collective life force. Yet a true sense of community seems rare in our modern age, with loneliness on the rise. One of my brother Carl's main projects, Future Generations, works with local communities to improve health outcomes for women giving birth in rural provinces in Afghanistan. We were both in our 80s when I agreed to help. The women I met welcomed me into their communities, even though we didn't share the same language, culture, education level or economic comfort. Instead, we leaned on the connections we did have, motherhood, birth and our roles as grandmothers raising the next generation. One day the women invited me on a trip to the mountains. It was a long journey by donkey and at 86 years old I was worried about my body, how, how it would react. One of the women saw that I was struggling to stay upright, so she grabbed me by the only harness I was wearing at the time, my bra. So there I went, up the mountain, with a bunch of Afghan women, a donkey, and a hand firmly secured around my bra strap. And lesson three, everything is your teacher. We live our best lives when we approach life with curiosity and as a desire to learn. Life always has new teachings to offer us, if we can find the courage to look for them. A few years ago, I made the difficult decision to stop driving. I'd always liked driving, yet as I approached the centenarian mark, my eyesight began to deteriorate. I've had my eyes longer than most people have, and they simply weren't made to last forever. One day, while driving a familiar route, I drove over a curb. I was a careful driver, so that was unusual. I simply hadn't seen it. This was the wake-up call I needed to make a change. Without that curb, I may not have stopped driving. And finally, lesson four. Find a way to be friends with everyone. I aim to love everyone, but that doesn't mean I like everyone. In the same way, it can help to find a way to be friends with everyone, to varying degrees. When we commit to befriending everyone, we can accept them regardless of who they are or what they believe. We can find the friend within them, even if it's only a small slice of who they are. I find the point where our life force flows together and I lean into it. 
Our interaction may be long or short, deep or shallow, but in that moment we are friends. Start with the people in close proximity to you, such as your neighbours. Move on to the people you interact with professionally, the people who are friends with your family members, the supermarket checkers, dentists and dog groomers in your life. Be friends with children, teenagers and older people. Make everyone your friend, even if only in a limited way, and lean into it. All it takes is a little kindness and curiosity. Look for the part of you and the part of them that can be friends and go forward from there. There's danger in thinking that we have to agree on everything to enjoy each other's company. It's natural that when someone's life looks like ours, it's easier to find common points of connection. But it's sometimes the people who are most unlike us who push, push us to see things in a new way. We approach people who think very differently from us, and with curiosity of condemnation, we grow. It certainly seems as though years of experience has given Gladys the insight into the secrets of happiness and contentment. Now, we mentioned in the recent, recent edition of Outlook about the return of the Motorfest to the streets of Coventry, and that, of course, prompted Dave to go and find out what was going on. Welcome to Motorfest 2023. Um, those sounds of the engines you can hear are cars driving round the Coventry Wing Road. I'm in a, a new light rail tram that's going to be on the streets of Coventry, right? Can you talk about it? Yeah, so it's, uh, it's been designed by the University of Warwick in conjunction with Coventry City Council and it's effectively going to be an all-battery operated tram system which means you don't have to have the overhead lines that you have with traditional tram systems but the real difference is the track so the track has been designed so it can go into the ground into a normal road at 300 millimeters depth whereas a traditional tram system goes in at 450 millimeters depth which means when you, you have to remove a lot of the infrastructure underneath like utilities whereas our track goes in at a lower depth which means you don't have to in, um, remove the utilities and importantly that brings down costs and makes it a much quicker process to install. So the real difference is the track and that's what will hopefully enable us to deliver it in Coventry and we're going to be looking at a first route from the train station down to the old IKEA building and then the first full route will be from the city centre up to the hospital. When's this going to happen? So the demonstrator track we're hoping to be able to start building next year and it'll be finished by 2025. The first full route from the city centre to the hospital is still to be confirmed, but we're hoping for 2027-2028. Okay, thank you very much indeed. Thank you. Well, thank you, Mark, for telling us about the new light tram. Thank you. Okay, hi there, Adam. So, right, so what's your involvement in Motorfest? Okay, so I've volunteered to work alongside my colleagues from Eon to uh, just be an ambassador, hand out some leaflets, be a cheery face, talk to people like yourself and just um, try to help people enjoy the day yeah? it's a great spectacular event for Coventry isn't it absolutely yeah. it's, um, it's really nice to see all these different people as well kids young old everyone's here really that's wonderful mm. thank you no thank you thank you very much thank you okay right I've been joined by Graham now we're in Hartford Street so what car are we standing in front of is Gray uh, standing by the Fall Capri which was in the TV series The Professionals 
Doyle's. And Bodie and Doyle used to drive around in the uh, car. Then when music went, da 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 uh, checking out our driving skills on the Dodgems. That was fun, wasn't it? Yeah, the Dodgems, it works on electric field, like electric field above your head and the cars run on electricity, yeah. Well, that's green, isn't it? Uh, i tell you what, there have been electric cars bombing around the ring road, haven't they? I think so, yeah. Yeah, great. And we're going on the ultimate green form of transport, the bikes. Bikes, yeah. Excellent. They're having a cycle fest, aren't they? Yeah. Excellent. On your bike. Hey, hey. Graham and I have just been on the Isle of Man TT and motorbike simulator. What do you think of that, Graham? It was good. It was um, Guy Martin was taking it around the uh, circuit and he did the uh, Wall of Death live on Channel 4. Did he? Wow. Thanks, Graham. In the evening, they're going to be inviting people to get on the bikes or hire a bike and cycle round the ring road of Coventry. Right, Graham and I are going to go cycling round the ring road on these bell bikes. These, I'm just going to unlock it. Hello there! Oh, I would have gone for it. There's a little, if you get a purple one, they've got electric. I know they are, but the one one. Oh, that's bikes, right. okay. yeah. So you can get on now. I know. And basically, take it easy, start a race. Okay, let's go! Right, I'm just gonna, trying to catch up, Graham. We're going down a ramp. Oh, the whistle's gone off. It's down, hey, here's the Lord and Lady Mara, hello there! <laughs> We're down by the uh, Sky Dome there. Yeah. By the Sky Dome, yes. The uh, GC used to be here. Yeah, it did. It used to work there. GC Spawn Street. And there's uh, across the bridge, there's uh, a sign that says Coventry City of Culture 2021. A million and more journeys begin here. I think we're referring to the car industry. There's another bridge here, and then there's a big blue footbridge. We are doing a U-turn now. Right, we're going back down the ring road. Ah, doing alright, it's quite a nice ride, really. Going past the 40 mile an hour speed limit, I don't think I need to worry about that too much. We're still pedalling along. pleased myself because this is a manual bike and not the electrically assisted bikes I normally go for. But the, uh, there was none available. Here's Graham. Hello Graham. Hi. What can we see now? That's the Friday Marina where they play ice hockey for the uh, country players. Yeah. Huh. Nice ride isn't it? That was lovely. <laughs> yeah, do you go cycling very often? Um, I used to, not as much now. No. Yeah, where's that beautiful weather? It's lovely, lovely weather. You couldn't, yeah, you couldn't uh, ask for the sun, right? <laughs> no. Really not. My legs are aching. Here we are. You can do it. We can do it, yeah. How are you doing? I'm okay. The family going uphill was a bit, <laughs> a bit hard work. 
Okay, how's it going, Graham? Yeah, it's going alright. It's a bit hard going uh, uphill. Going downhill's fine. Is this the way out? Uh, we completed the lap. That's great. Okay. Oh, thank you very much. It is good fun without cars. Yeah, definitely. Great. We've arrived. Hello there, I'm speaking to a Marshal, a Richard Smith. That's so me. how do you think it's gone, the old bike, uh, bike ride? Well, well the, the sun's shining, people seem to be enjoying themselves. You've yeah. been round, how did you find yes, it? Yes, we have, yeah, it's been fantastic. You were, very, you were very quick on those oh, uh, Western great. cycle hire bikes. So what do you think of Motorfest? Well, yeah, it's been good, yeah. Right, and I enjoyed the cycle ride around the ring road and cycle fest. Yeah, it's good, yeah. Brilliant. Okay, right, that's all from me, Dave Monks from Motorfest, and bye from Graham. Bye. Yes, I must admit, that's not for me, but it is for petrol heads amongst you. And now Margaret is back again, and she has been looking more at the origin of words, as described by Susie Dent. The wordsmith featured in TV's Countdown, and this article is taken from the Radio Times. Gotten. Most of us would say that gotten, the past tense of get, is an Americanism. It is far more popular in the US, but it began on these shores in the Middle Ages, when it was the regular past tense of got. In fact, gotten was for centuries considered so standard that it was used both in a 16th century translation of the Bible and Queen Elizabeth I's Statutes of Realm. Such strong verbs, which change their stem in the past tense, were once very common. Many remain, I teach, I taught, for example, but many died away. Pled and chode became pleaded and chided. Today, most new verbs are weak and we simply add ed for the past tense. American English still enjoys strong verbs, snook for sneaked and dove for dived, a usage still found in some British dialects. Keeping score. Even in the age of digital technology, the language of counting is steeped in history. When we tally something up, for example, we are borrowing from the French tallier, meaning to cut, harking back to a time when we would use wooden tally sticks or twigs on which amounts were notched at various intervals. Our football scores or when we ourselves keep score, also derived from this ancient method of calculation, since the tally stick was scored with a knife. Likewise, when we talk of something happening in the nick of time, we are also giving a silent nod to this way of keeping count. The meaning of nick here is a window of opportunity that is as precise and narrow as a cut made on a piece of wood. Mondegreen. Many of us will have a song lyric we have somehow misheard, but never really questioned. We've built this city on sausage rolls is one popular example. The correct line, of course, is on rock and roll. 
Suchness hearings have an unlikely name in Mondegreen. The word was first mentioned in a 1954 Harper's Magazine article by Sylvia Wright, who wrote of her own misinterpretation of a phrase in the Scottish ballad, the Bonnie Earl Murray. Here, instead of they have slain the Earl of Murray and laid him on the green, Wright understood it to be they have slain the Earl of Murray and Lady Mondegreen. My own lyrical slips of the year include Lord of the Dance City, Lord of the Dance said he, and Culture Club's Comma Chameleon. English, of course, like all languages, has changed and evolved over hundreds of years, and it's fascinating to know and understand the origins of some of those words. So from individual words to words in prose, another short story um, read by Ali and it's written by Cynthia Townsend. This one is called Life is One Big Quiz. I don't know if you like me or not, but I love watching and listening to quiz shows. And I guess that's why my head is full of useless information. I have this knack of remembering things that would not seem very useful, but when I need it, I can find the answer to a question from somewhere and astound my family and friends. More often than not, I only know the answer because of a situation I found myself in, or it was featured on the television programme I've watched. A bit like the character Jamal from Slumdog Millionaire. He knew the answers to the questions because of particular scenarios he found himself in, and the quiz show bosses couldn't believe that a lad from the slums had enough knowledge to win big on the quiz. Whenever we go to pub quizzes, me and my husband have our own interests, and both of us have a great, decent general knowledge. Between us, we've quite an impressive arsenal of answers or bath leaves. He's got on sport and geography and history, and I'm good at music, the picture round, and films. I've learnt so much about history and sport since I've been married. History is a fascinating subject and I'm particularly interested by the Tudors. Every Saturday morning, we do the 10-question quiz in the iWeekend newspaper, and it's usually our goal to get a perfect 10. We don't manage it every week. We usually average about eight. One Saturday morning, we're having our usual, drinking coffee, eating our pan of chocolate, and doing the quiz. And question number seven was a tricky one and Hubby was adamant that I wouldn't know the answer. OK, he said, what breed of dog does not bark? And as quick as a flash, I said, the Basenji. How on earth do you know that, he asked. Simple. Back in 2005, I went to the Crufts Dog Show at the NEC near Birmingham, and one of the exhibits they had there was the A to Z of dogs, called Discover Dogs. You could see a breed of dog that started with every letter of the alphabet, and in the B section was the Basenji. And it was such an unusual little dog, and there was an information card above his pen. The Basenji is a breed of hunting dog. It was bred from stock that originated in Central Africa, and it produces a yodel-like sound, due to its unusually shaped larynx. And this trait also gives the Basenji the nickname of the barkless dog. For some reason this stuck with me, 
So when my husband asked me the question, I was transported back to crops in my head and remembered the little Basenji. Hubby thought I was making it up. You see, it wasn't unusual for me to make random words up as answers to difficult questions and make it sound like I know the answer all along. I'm ever so convincing when I want to be. So when he read out the answers, it was indeed the Basenji. He was mightily impressed. It comes every so often up in a crossword clue. Monday night is quiz night in our house. We like watching The Chase and Richard Osmond's House of Games. We take a break for tea and then we watch Mastermind Only Connect and University Challenge. It's a marathon session. However, I'm the first to admit if I get a couple of questions right on University Challenge, I consider myself a lucky. How on earth those young people know all those impressive things is mind-boggling. It never ceases to amaze it just how powerful the human brain can be, and how some people have the capacity to remember so many things. I heard recently that Dame Judi Dench had a photographic memory and could recite the whole of Twelfth Night. Can you imagine having that kind of total recall? I can't even remember what I had for breakfast, let alone quote the bard for a few hours solid. It made me think how wonderful it must be to have her on your quiz team, and why at the age of 88 she's still acting. However, because she is 88, she recently admitted to having problems with her eyesight. The Oscar-winning actress spoke about how her age-related degenerative eye disease is affecting her ability to remember lines, saying that it's become impossible, and because she does have a photographic memory, she needed to find a machine that not only teaches her her lines, but also tells her where they come on the page. It must be such a blow for someone who mentally is still very active and wants to consider doing everything she loved to do before. She'd been battling this disease for over a decade and has previously spoken about it in support of the Vision Foundation, a slight loss charity. It must be so frustrating for her. I'm having memory issues at the moment. This has been creeping up on me for a while. I'm usually quite quick in coming up with the names of people when I see their photo. In fact, I pride myself on having a general knowledge of famous people. That's why I'm so good at doing pitch quizzes. But recently I've found it more and more difficult to remember the names that would have normally come to me in a flash. So annoying. I guess it is a sign of my age. I've noticed that aches and pains are more frequent, especially in my joints. It is weird, because in my head, I'm still in my early twenties. However, as long as I can still remember the name of the Basenji, I'll be happy. Now, 50 years ago, Dave's son Graham was born, and quite rightly, they have celebrated the big birthday with a special party, to which Dave, of course, took his trusty recorder. And here's the first part of his enjoyment of those celebrations. OK, Graham and I are at Coventry Railway Station, and we're off on holiday. Where are we going, Graham? We're going all over the place, Southport, Chester, Liverpool. Okay, we're in Southport now. I've just seen the shop that sells booking spades, so I know we're at the seaside. It has a really long um, uh, prom in uh, Southport, wow. 
A really long pier, is it? Yeah, I think it's That's second, it. lo second longest, is it? There, Graham and I are back in Liverpool, and we're, we're outside Smokey's Bar, and I'm talking to the star, Lisa, who's the Facebook friend of Graham's. Hello, hello, okay, so, hello. so how are you doing? I'm doing great, just getting ready to start. Now, when I first, we first started listening to it, it was during lockdown, and then you were singing Beatles songs in a car park. Yeah, we're actually doing venues now. You did a recreation of the Beatles singing on top of a roof. Top. Oh, no, you, yeah. you sang Beatles songs on the top of the Shankly Hotel. Yeah, I've got that again in uh, that's again in August. We're doing that again in August, so I'm looking forward to that. That'll be lovely. Yeah, and it's nice to be here in uh, Liverpool. It's, 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 it's a big uh, uh, musical city, isn't it? Yeah. It's, 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 oh, you, it's walk, you walk down the street, and there's music everywhere. Yeah, daytime, <laughs> nighttime, any time of day, you'll always find some music in Liverpool. And I'm Fascinated by the fact that, that all the, the women to me sound like Silla Black. Oh, fantastic! <laughs> I've got a hairdo, I'm halfway there. Well, we're Back in the Southport, we're on the prom, so what can we see in the distance, Graham? You can see Blackpool in the distance, you can see the um, Blackpool Tower, and you can see the um, the big roller coaster called Big One. You, get, you can get stuck in there, apparently. Okay, so where have we arrived at, Graham? The uh, British Thumbnail Museum. Yeah, there's uh, Lee Mack's uh, a Dibber, a garden tool. You know, you know Lee Mack, the comedian of uh, Would I Lie to You? Uh, Prince Charles's um, and Lady Diana's lawnmower. Wow, okay. Okay, so what have we got now, Graham? Um, um, a cabinet with the um, rich and famous um, of donated stuff. Like, Lee Mack actually lives in, uh, in South Southport. Yeah, that's right. And you got um, hand trowel donated by Alan Titchmarsh. Uh, the various other things here. Okay, so what lawnmower do we have here, Graham? It's uh, Albert Pierpoint's uh, lawnmower. It is the um, hang famous hangman. Right, and he charged, his fee was £15 per execution, which coincidentally was the price of his mower. And he hanged over 400 people. So that was the British Lawnmower Museum, a fascinating place, hidden away in Southport. Brilliant. Okay, well, welcome to Wigan now, Graham. Thanks for bringing me here. We're in a beautiful park. Yeah, beautiful park. I say, yeah, here the fountain in front of us, and at the top of the um, garden, there's sort of like a uh, cafe. There's in an old building. There's a beautiful pavilion. Brilliant. There really is. It's absolutely beautiful. Where are we now, Graham? Well, here we are at Wigan Pier. It's not that spectacular, actually, but there's a couple of short railway lines and they curve upwards. 
and that was used to tip the coal from the coat the coal trucks into the barges and George Formby Senior, the father of the ukulele playing George Junior, told the joke about Wigan Pier in his Victorian musical act. Well, here we are overlooking the lake at Southport. Yeah, we have the lakeside in, which is the UK's smallest pub. Yeah, fantastic. And what a view! With all the yachts and the sun going down. And on the right hand side at the end of the lake is the Sandpiper Centre, owned by Revitalised, where Sheila and I spent a wonderful holiday. Well, we've got off the train from Southport to Chester and we've got off at Rock Ferry. Now the reason we've got off at Rock Ferry is because Graham's musical friend Les Glover wrote a song called The Rock Ferry Fox. Rock Ferry Fox Growl. Very popular with children. Okay, and uh, we've looked across the Mersey and you can see Liverpool Cathedral. Right, we're in Chester now and we're up on the wall and there's a big huge clock well we're standing near the Roman amphitheatre in Chester and the arena had four entrances and the small room in the east entrance with its narrow gateway to the arena may have held wild beasts above it there may have been a box for officials and a shrine to the goddess Nemesis, Destiny, was discovered beside the north entrance. And yellow sand covered the arena floor, which stopped combatants slipping and could be easily cleaned. It sounds as though they were having a lot of fun there. There's going to be more about Graham's party in the next two editions of Outlook. But that brings us to the end of this week's programme. So from the team and myself, Sheila Allen, it's goodbye till next week.